0: episode of Chew Diligence, we wanted to talk about fermentation booming in the middle of the nation. And Jill and I uh, thought we should invite two folks on who have a little bit of a different aspect to fermentation. We have so many cool breweries in town, but today we're going to be talking about mead and kombucha. But first, Jill and I want to talk about first the food. Jill, what have you been eating?
1: Well, uh, I slipped into a bakery recently called Banksia.
0: Oh, yeah. Australian?
1: Australian. I was, I, I don't think I knew what I was walking into. You know, that was a couple other bakeries uh, down the road or, or, or previously. And so I was like, okay, I'll just run in here for a few minutes and kill some time. And all of a sudden I realized there were meat pies everywhere. Ah. So I um, started asking about it. They have a kangaroo roll, although. And yes, it does have kangaroo meat. It does? It does. Yes, it's not just a cute name. But they didn't have any that day. So I went on to the Lamington, uh, which is a a cake with layers. Um, it looked like a big marshmallow. Huh. Um, but it was more like chocolate cake with some filling in it. Um, it was good. I think I'm going to go back for the meat pies and the kangaroo roll, though. Kangaroo roll.
0: I'm trying to decide if that would be... I, mean, I know it's such a common food down there.
1: The girl behind the counter told me that it was mixed with um, lard, I believe. Okay. To make it a little... You know, I said, what's it really like? And she said, oh, a little a little tough, needs a little moisture. <laughs> <laughs> um, I later talked to a friend who um, whose mother is Australian, and she loves... Uh, Kangaroo and Vegemite and all of that. Um, so I guess it's something you grow up with.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> but I'm willing to try.
0: That reminds me of how, you know, some of us eat venison, you know? You
1: know, I've eaten a lot of strange things in my uh, day. I've had some pig snoot, I've had barnacles, I've had. Um,
0: From Hirocho? Is that where the barnacles? Yeah. Me too, yeah.
1: Gooey duck. Um, So, you know, I'm not woodchuck, we know. That's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, So
1: I'm not afraid.
0: Let's go try kangaroo (laughs) together sometime. Okay. Okay. It's Uh, a deal. From your exotic fare to my Waldo pizza.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, but you're craving it, right?
0: All the time. And I bring this up. I wanted to talk about it because Waldo pizza is one of our favorites in town. But also we discovered they have... Sausage from Local Pig on their menu, and it's coffee maple sausage, and it is sweet, and Local Pig is just such a fabulous butcher shop. So it just kind of puts the already good Waldo pizza over the top Two great local places. It's our favorite Monday night situation.
1: What else is on that pizza, Lindsay?
0: So we just get pepperoni okay, and the sausage, but they have a set can't remember what it's called now of like a, a an uber meat pizza if you will that comes with all of the local pig stuff but cheesy Yum. and
1: awesome yeah oh it sounds delicious
0: ah, and now i need something to drink to go with that
1: right so does baby start dancing when you eat that kind of thing
0: uh yes <laughs> kaboom kaboom <laughs> kaboom huh? that and ice cream so the baby likes cheese and sugar so far
1: <laughs> oops <laughs> gonna be fun
0: <laughs> getting closer uh, we want to bring in our guests now. We have Daniel Bauer from the Caw Point Meadery. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we also have Sean Galloway from The Brewery. Thank you. Now, you guys deal in kombucha.
2: Yes, correct.
0: And you just opened a tap room in February. Where is the tap room?
2: Uh, we're in North Kansas City, uh, 1443 Swift. Um, so just kind of in between a couple of the breweries down there, Cinderblock and Big Rip. Yeah. Um,
0: a couple. I mean, man, North Kansas City's going crazy.
2: Yeah, I I think we have five five breweries now. Five beer breweries um, plus a lot of other cool little um, shops and restaurants that are popping mm-hmm. up and it's really been a a good a good change in the last 5 years.
0: Do you notice the businesses kind of feed off each other in the area when people take a trip they go to several?
2: Yes, for sure. Um it's it, it kind of becomes like a, a an outing uh to kind of come up you know on the other side of the world on the river sure. over the over the river um, but yeah, a lot of people go uh, to to different places and um, it's really a great uh kind of entrepreneurial um, setup as well because everybody kind of collaborates and works with each other and um, a lot of a lot of young people that are really doing some cool stuff.
0: And, you know, Danny, we were talking about how North Kansas City is starting to boom. KCK2, that's where Cop Point is going to be, right?
3: Yep. Yep. We're going to be uh, at the bottom of Strawberry Hill, essentially, at 613 North 6th Street. Uh, and, yeah, Kansas City, Kansas has a lot going for it right now. Um, the, the rent is affordable, and uh, we have a lot of cool businesses going in there. Um, see, I, we have Slaps Barbecue, fantastic barbecue down oh. there um there's a, a lot of local divy bars that you can go check out as well, uh, and yeah, hopefully soon we'll be bringing mead.
1: i I've already tasted some of this Lindsay, so i have to I have to jump in here I mean, I feel so special um We have an event out at Powell Gardens back in May that was called fungi and fermentation and uh Daniel came out to speak about it and we had um had lots of different uh vendors there for mushrooms, for uh, kombucha, for mead, um, beer, just having fun. And so I think fermentation is is a hot subject these days. A lot of people are DIYing it at home. Um, so I wanted to uh, sort of just say I have a place that people can learn more about it uh, next year, and that's pretty exciting. But what I learned um, is that A lot of people do not understand mead at all Mm. or kombucha at all. So maybe we can have both of you define what your drink of choice is here Mm -hmm. and and how it's made so that we can kick off and then get a little deeper. Daniel, you want to start us out? What the heck is mead? And everybody thinks I say meat all the time. You have to say Good job, Lindsay. You really enunciated there.
0: Well, I said meadery downstairs and someone goes, like jerky? Like beef? Somebody needs to open a meadery
1: also.
3: Mead. To go with
0: M-E-A-D.
3: Yeah, yeah. The uh, the constant struggle to define myself as not a butcher shop. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so mead is essentially a, a fermented alcoholic beverage made predominantly out of honey, uh, where the most of the alcohol is coming from. Um, so But there, there are many variations. You can have apples. Involve various fruits, spices, herbs. Um, You can age it in oak. It can be low alcohol, high alcohol, sweet, dry, uh, carbonated or not. It's really it is its own class of beverage, and uh, and it's on a it's on a comeback curve at this point. Um, It it kind of fell out of style uh, a good while ago, a couple centuries, I believe. due to just the cost of honey versus the other raw materials needed uh, for beer or wine. And uh, and so it was kind of reserved for uh, whether it was royalty or if you were the beekeeper yourself, you kind of – you had obviously the honey around. Um, so, so there wasn't really much commercial production available. Uh, but now with the advent of uh, uh, commercial beekeeping – Traveling around for commercial pollination events, we have a a lot of different commercial honeys to play with.
1: I think it's all Game of Thrones, really, that's Ah. thrown it back into the ring, don't you think?
3: Uh, It certainly played a role. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it helped. Uh, But there have been some people preaching the gospel for the last (laughs) thirty years or so. I think
1: I'm sure. But now I think we need a TV show that talks about kombucha a little bit to make it, you know,
2: a little more popular. Don't you think? Sure. Yeah, um, Yeah. Kombucha is very uh even though it's obviously I deal with it every day, it's for the average consumer, um very few people actually know what it is or have heard of it. Um I just saw a study the other day that was basically five percent of the population has knows what it is. And so that's kind of actually our biggest challenge is is education and, and teaching people um the benefits of kombucha and and yeah, like what it is. I mean it's uh, it's fermented tea. Um, at at its simplest Um, it can be black tea green tea um, oolong all all kinds of different teas Um, it's usually blended with uh, cane sugar um, and make a sweet tea base and then fermented with a a, a kind of a dual culture of yeast and bacteria um, often referred to as a scoby so it's a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast and uh that culture works to uh, convert those sugars to um, alcohol and um, carbon dioxide. And then the bacteria that are in the culture work to convert that alcohol um, into acetic acid and other beneficial acids as well. Um, so it, it is a non-alcoholic uh, drink. Um, it's a health drink. Um, it's, uh, has, it ends up pretty relatively low in sugars mm-hmm. um, because of the fermentation process. Um, much lower than a, obviously a soda or a juice, um, and plus it's it's full of beneficial acids and um, uh, and uh, so a little bit of probiotic benefit as well. Um, but also a lot of benefit from the tea um, as well, a lot of polyphenols, um, and so there's there's some really at its base it's a health drink, um, even though we do some other things to it in the tap room. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, as far as the, how we sell it in stores and and, uh, and to the general public, it's a, it's a health drink.
0: And I just love the first time that I had some uh, tea is not the taste that comes to mind at all. True,
2: yeah. We we uh, you know from doing lots of um, events and farmers market stuff, you know, people walk up and they're like, well, "What's kombucha?" And, mm-hmm. and they're like, "We're like, oh, it's fermented tea." And they're like, "Oh, I love tea." <laughs> and I'm like, "It doesn't taste like tea." <laughs> I mean, for the most part, it doesn't. It t- it's a soury, tart, tangy. Uh, Flavor—it's kind of more like um, I don't know, like a soda without well, the sweet. Exactly. I think, yeah, it tastes
0: carbonated. It really does.
2: Well, there is carbonation that naturally occurs, um, and then some brewers, us including, um, uh, add, add CO two as well to create a more consistent um, product that has a longer shelf life.
0: Yeah, and, and you were talking about adding fruit to mead. Same with kombucha, right? Mm-hmm. You you infuse all kinds of flavors into it.
2: Yeah, uh, fruits, herbs. Um, we actually use uh, flavored teas as well, uh, or herbal teas, at, a, at a, either in the primary fermentation or just as a flavoring. Um, kombucha is a really flexible uh, product. We can do a lot of stuff with with just the base kombucha. Um, so that's a, it's a little bit different than beer. It's probably easier than beer because I, I don't have to have five different styles. I can take the same base and make five different styles. So it's it's a little bit more flexible that way.
1: And how many flavors do you have right now, Sean? Is it
2: um, we changing bo- all the time? Well, or? we bottle four flavors. Okay. We, have a, we have a mango, a hopped peach, a ginger lime, and a berry blend, which is aronia berries and blackberries. And, but in our tap room, we have 10 taps um, that are constantly changing um, every week.
0: What has it been like? Because I know I've had uh, Lucky Elixir, is where you can buy your wares right. all over town, right, from yeah. the tea loft, the roastery, grocery stores. What's it like been going from that to a taproom setting where people can do flights and get growlers? And
2: well, uh, so our original concept was beer and sourdough bread, so that's <laughs> where the name, yeah, yeah, that's where the name of <laughs> Brewery came from. And so we, so the taproom experience was always something that we were familiar with. Um, and so it's really, that part of it is actually very comfortable. I mean, sitting, talking to people, answering questions. It's really a, a great place to, um, uh, to come, to learn about kombucha. Um, you know, we'll, some people come in and, you know, buy growlers, you know, six growlers full and some people taste it and we're like, okay, it's not for me. And that's great. You know, that's, that's what we're there for. Um, but yeah, it's a different experience than, um, the whole bottling uh, wholesaling side as well
0: and a different experience I don't think I don't know of any other meadery or kombucha tap room in town do you guys
2: there is a another kombucha um, essentially tap room yes um, to where you can go in and fill growlers um, we, we kind of um, our, our experience is a little bit different because you can order a flight you can um, taste you can hang out for two hours if you want, and you know, steal a Wi-Fi and, or not steal, use the wi Um, so yeah, it's, it's more of a, it's a pretty cozy little spot and, um, yeah, we welcome all kinds of people to come in.
3: And there are wineries, uh, around the Kansas City Metro that, that make a mead, but it's mostly used as a, something to fill the tank in the off season. Mm. So there are wineries where you could go and you could have, uh, a mead experience, but we're trying to offer the Experience and the closest mead tap room to us would be uh, out in Buffalo, Missouri, with uh, Leaky Roof Meadery.
0: Oh wow!
1: So uh, describe for us. You're still in the middle of um, your tap room, and I have been following very closely on social media. You're getting close.
3: We are. We are. We how uh, close? So our production is uh, is floating around eighty five to ninety percent completion and then uh, our tap room is floating around 80 uh, so we're gonna finish production half get some batches rolling and then uh, and then wrap up our tap room we're looking like uh, probably november at this point point. and what does know. that's
1: that's exciting and what does a, a mead tap room look like i mean is it just like going to a winery and and tasting or
3: so so we're essentially going for kind of like the industrial vibe open rafter thing um uh, but you can, you'll can, you be able to order flights of all of our session needs. Uh, you can order by the glass of some of our stronger things when we do offer those. Uh, you can buy a bottle to consume there. You can buy a bottle to go. Uh, we'll be doing bottle release events as well. Uh, we'll have a small stage for two or three musicians and uh, try to really make a, a a community space for people to come and experience something new.
1: Will you have food as well? Is that part of the pairing, or is it just going to be mead?
3: Uh, currently, we're just going to be doing mead until we uh, we'll be having food trucks as we can during events and weekends uh, come out. Uh, but I've I've worked in a kitchen, and personally, that's not where I want to. Go. <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> so you have an interesting story. How did you initially get into uh, this whole mead thing?
3: So I was homebrewing with a. a study partner, essentially during uh, my college years. uh, where I was at Oregon State University, and I studied botany and chemistry, and uh, it was all very fascinating to me. And uh, I started making some mead, decided, oh, next time I go to Kansas City, I'll drop by a meadery. Check it out. That was a pretty fruitless search. (laughs) Um, So so I decided that uh, I was going to move back here and be the meadery. So it's, that was in 2013. I moved back and it's been, you know, years of perfecting the recipes and building, uh, the following and building up funds. Um, And yeah, it's been, it's been a great experience so far.
1: And you're doing this with one of your high school buddies.
3: Yes. uh, Sam Sodarth is my other partner.
1: So where did you go to high school?
3: Uh, So I went to Shawnee Mission Northwest.
1: And that's how it's funny because my kids go went to Shawnee Mission Northwest, so that's kind of a link that that we have, which was which it was interesting. And we started talking at an event, and I started tasting the meads, thinking they were going to be very sweet, mm. um, and they were actually really complex and interesting and delicious and. The hibiscus one still sticks in my mind that you served at um, the Powell Gardens event. Can you kind of walk us through how you were saying before we got on air that that wine is probably more similar to me than we so, were thinking beer? Um, so,
3: yeah, it's uh, so that one in particular, I would liken it closer to a cider and some of our higher strength ones are closer to a wine. Um, so that one in particular was a 6.5% semi-sweet uh, using clover honey, and it was carbonated, and I added hibiscus and then just a slight kiss of cinnamon to mm. kind of give it some depth.
1: And it was character. the most brilliant red, just like hibiscus. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and a little bit bubbly.
3: Yep, yep. It has uh, a little bit of carbonation. I can't go too high on the carbonation, or else I throw myself into the luxury tax bracket, and I have to pay obscene obscenely more really per gallon of production than uh, I would if I was under we call it we go by volumes of co2 so if it was under two volumes of co2 I'm fine wow but anything over that and I suddenly have to pay an outrageous tax
0: wow uh when you guys are talking about um I'm just curious about the honey is it no. always local honey is it honey from around the world is it both
3: so we do both our sessions are using local clover honey and I love to use local clover honey as my my clean base essentially that I can build flavors off of because it plays so well with everything uh, for beer brewers I would akin it to a pale malt or a two row uh, type of barley and uh, so it's a nice clean base I can I can vary all of my flavors off of that and then for Another series that we're doing, uh, it's called the Pollinator's Reserve. I use uh, specialty monofloral honeys from around the world.
0: Wow. when you With your local honey, are you rotating beekeepers? I have several that I draw
3: upon. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Mm.
0: But is it so interesting? Can you pick out notes from different beekeepers themselves? You know what I mean, the different honeys?
3: Yes. Uh, it's more towards seasonality i would say if you have a an early summer flow versus a midsummer flow of what would predominantly be a clover field there are going to be other flowers within that and you can kind of catch some some nectar source off of that uh, and then wildflowers will vary based on valley even
0: i'm so fascinated by this i was reading your credentials and i, I just want to read my note to make sure i get it right you are a let's see bjcp certified mead judge yes is that again just to try to equate it somewhat to familiar world of wine somewhere in sommelier status? Do you know what I mean? Like,
3: yeah, I would say that our our organ the BJCP is essentially uh, a system that categorizes and qualifies homebrew judges mostly, um, and so they have a mead category mm-hmm. that was built by I think it was eight contributors or so. Uh, that are known in the mead scene, um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it, it would be pretty similar to to like a mid level sommelier. Wow,
1: it's pretty cool, isn't it? Is. its it is. People have they can develop their palates in such amazing ways. Um, I'm not there, <laughs> not even close. Same, but I'm I'm amazed by all of it.
3: Still working on it too. <laughs>
1: <Same> <laughs> it's a constant process. Now you mentioned a word, Daniel, that um, that is a beer word, session beer. But uh, define for people what what that is. What are we talking so about when you talk about a session?
3: Whenever I say session mead, I just mean anything lower than about seven percent alcohol. Um, that that's kind of our as a as a mead judge. That was kind of the line that we drew. A lot of people call it a hydromel too. Um, I take uh, protest against that because Hydromel is basically a, a Latin derivation of Hydromel, which is what everybody else in the world calls mead. Oh. So session mead is, uh, or draft mead would be uh, a little more friendlier to the English audience, I would say.
1: So if we go somewhere else in the world, what are they going to call it?
3: Hydromel, essentially, or Hydromel.
1: That's important to know. Yes. It's, uh, yes. <laughs> okay. And um, around the world, what do they call kombucha? Is this is this a, an English word? Is a, where's this coming from, um, Sean?
2: Uh, to my to my knowledge, they call it kombucha. <laughs> okay. um, it uh, it actually originated uh, uh, supposedly thousands of years ago in China, um, and I believe kombucha is actually a Japanese word, um, and meaning. Mushroom tea, I believe. Um, I should know that, I guess. Uh, but the story goes that it was brought to America um, after World War II um, by soldiers uh, through the Russians, actually. Um, so kombucha's has really only been in America for 30, 40 years commercially. Um, so it's really a, a relatively new market for sure.
0: I know so many people... Find uh, gut health benefits that they claim when they drink it. Uh, do you guys have since you started off on another path and then led to kombucha? Have you been surprised by anything like that?
2: Yes, that was actually our um, original impetus for for s- changing directions and going into kombucha. Um, because after one summer of, of selling it at a farmers market, um, we noticed the the how much better we felt. Mm. Um, And, um, we're like, Hey, let's, let's look and see what, what it takes to, to become a commercial, um, kombucha brewery. And we spent that time, you know, the next six months or so, um, kind of researching it and to that next spring set up in a shared kitchen to, uh, to start producing.
1: And how long does it take to produce kombucha?
2: Um, it's, it's about a two week ferment. And then, uh, you know, from brew day to, to bottle or keg, it's about three weeks, um, so it's so there's fermentation, flavoring, carbonation, all that that happens, but um, it's about a three week process totally.
1: So talk to me about the mother. I have, been, I, have oh, right. I have seen uh, some kombucha brewing, and it, it looks a little alarming. Sure. Um, yeah. If you're not <laughs> used to seeing this <laughs> sort of slippery thing on top of your, <laughs> bubbling on top of your brew, so
2: right. Um, yeah. So the mother uh, k- kombucha is is really cool because it's um when we brew it we take a portion of a finished batch and inoculate it to the new sweet tea um and let it do its thing um i mean we do some stuff in between but um essentially we are always using part um it's like a sourdough starter basically we're always using part of a previously completed batch uh to to go to, to to ferment so that's kind of where the um you know, the whole term mother comes from um there is a pellicle that's formed every single time um on top of the of the brew which is probably what you're talking about um and yeah it, it can get uh kind of creepy looking sure um <laughs> it's uh it's entirely natural um you know it's 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 basically is its own protection um you know we we it, kombucha is brewed in an open uh ferment so um that way the yeast and bacteria can both live harmoniously um so uh i mean we we cover our tanks you know to keep anything out but um naturally that pellicle has formed you know over you know centuries of evolution to uh to protect itself and so um there's there's a lot of disagreement as to whether that pellicle is actually needed um you know from batch to batch um we actually discard it um or compost it, um, and we, w- there's enough um, culture in the liquid itself to create a, a really robust fermentation. So we, the the actual pellicle itself, or what most people call a scoby, is uh, is not actually entirely necessary.
1: So I'm I'm curious about um, now. I finally know what scoby means. That's no. a great thing. But the yeast and the bacteria that it, does that change the taste like say honeywood for his product um, is it is it Kansas City flavored in some way as opposed to Just making this around it right yeah. as opposed to making this in San Francisco because we know that sourdough,
2: Cultures are different there than they are here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, since it's an open fermentation, it is uh, subject to, to the environment it's fermented in. Mm. So um, it's a wild fermentation. Every fermentation is going to be a little bit different. I mean, larger commercial kombucha breweries really control the environment. Um, uh, and we we do to to an extent. I mean, we have a dedicated room that's climate controlled and um, you know the lights are always off, and all, you know so it's 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 definitely controlled. Um, but yes, each each kombucha culture can technically be entirely different. So not like not necessarily like beer and and probably wine to where they've really identified those these strains and kind of propagated them so they have certain quali- or, qu- uh, qualities. So and we know there's San
0: Francisco sourdough starters that are decades old. Does that mean there's at least a portion? I know you said you discard. The scoby, but is there a portion of it that is, you know, years old for the brewery? Oh
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. We've we've been using the same culture since um, since we started in two thousand fifteen.
0: Wow, have you noticed it evolve?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's it it is. Um, we definitely are doing a better job. <laughs> uh, you know, we've we've come a long way and learned a lot. Especially, you know, starting out in a shared kitchen, it was it was a little challenging to to you know especially as as particular sometimes as i can be and so i i think that um yeah i think it's uh and it's it, it's definitely um evolved over time um and it's uh there's a there's a saying that 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 we kind of like that fermentation is uh uh that any changes or variances in fermentation should be celebrated because mm-hmm. it's not uh, it's more of an art really than a than a and exact, exact science. Now, um, the goal is to always make a consistent product for sure, and that's still our goal for sure.
1: But it's it's a little bit like vegetables or grapes or anything that's grown; it's different every time, and
2: it can be yeah. sure. I mean, we use the same little variances. Yeah, we use the same tea, the same sugar, mm-hmm. um, and the same culture, but still, you know, the 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 results batch to batch can be slightly di- different for sure.
0: Do you guys have one tea company that you stick with that you like for your base tea? Or
2: Yeah, we're, we're lucky enough to have Hugo Tea, yes. uh, which is right in North Kansas City. I mean, literally, they're six blocks or five blocks away from our, facility, from our tap room. Um, and they're incredibly great to work with as far as ideas and concepts and um, just a, a great resource for us
0: and it's pretty rare to have a tea company like that that works directly with the farms all over the world like they do, right?
2: Right. Yeah, they they go directly to the farms in China and um inspect the tea and it's like I said it's a great resource. It's a really good tea.
1: So will we ever see kombucha like as a sort of a coke product? Can you go that large with something like kombucha?
2: Sure. Actually, Coke and Pepsi are both um heavily involved in the in the in that uh market segment. Um and Pepsi owns Cavita and Coke has a couple interests in a couple um uh kombucha companies. And and so it it it's a it's a really growing segment. Um and it's just forecast to grow even more um, in the next decade.
1: Does that make you a little bit crazy though, that big companies come and take the small artisan producers sort of claim to fame and
2: No, that's actually my goal. That's your goal. <laughs> okay. no, no, I'm kidding. Way. I'm, I'm kidding. No, no, it's. Uh, it doesn't upset me. I mean, I, that's that's business. I mean, it's um, whether we make kombucha or whether we, I don't know, make meat or um, print on paper. It's there's always competition and there's always um, um, people who um, are out there trying to do it better, and that's actually great. I mean, I like that. I mean, if we if we didn't have people that were pushing us, then I, I don't think we would be as far along as we are.
0: And I feel like there's probably something a little more fun about buying the local version, right?
2: Well, lo- you know, local kombucha is and local anything, local mead, local beer. Um, it's fresh. Um, it impacts uh, your uh, your local economy so much, um, and it's it, it 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 definitely just like since it's a a different fermentation or a, a wild fermentation, it does taste different.
0: I know you said you said only 5% of the population you thought
2: had knew that's, it. That's a study I saw, yes. Because
0: I think I've had my first taste probably five years ago, and I felt like the only kind you could find, it was very limited. It was the GTS, mm-hmm. and not many others. And now I feel like I see it everywhere. Do you see people coming in less and less that are first-timers and more that are experienced kombucha drinkers, or is it still a mix of both?
2: Um, you know, even though we've only been... Uh, Had the tap room open for just over six months, almost seven months, I guess. Um, The 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 amount of new or uh, returning clients is pretty amazing. Like we we get a ton of people that just come back every single week, Um, and we. uh, But with that said, we get a lot of people every single week that are new, and many of them are very experienced with kombucha. And I'd say probably a good fifteen to twenty percent have never had it.
1: I think it's so interesting the way, um, you know, we, we had these kind of nondescript uh, breweries. They did beer. It was great. Nobody really thought about all the different flavors of beer, the types of beer, uh, the different things you could do to beer, and the funny names you could give beer. Um, and then you see small homebrewers doing it, right? And then it homebrewers step it up a little bit, and they become businesses. And then what do we see? The breweries the big-time breweries coming back and, you know, buying up some of those or emulating some of those smaller, more artisan flavors. Talk to me a little bit, both of you, about flavor and what people are looking for. Because beer used to be sort of beer, Blant. you know. Um, there just weren't all these shades of, of not gray, but you know, all those different. Amber. Yes, all those beautiful, different Colors out there, and and I feel like both of you have a product that is adding yet more to that spectrum of flavor.
3: Yeah, uh, so within breweries, you can do honey beers, um, or we would call a braggot, um, and and so you can offer kind of that honey character. I think Torn Label does monk and honey, and they use local honey in that. I just had
1: that last weekend; quite good.
3: It is really. It's a Belgian gold style. Um, yeah, so so we're excited to be able to offer different types of honey through that Pollinators Reserve series that people have never had, um, and different honeys taste different based on uh, the nectar source collected. So Tasmanian Leatherwood honey is uh, it's from a eucalypt tree, and so it takes on eucalypt properties like tea tree oil whereas heather honey from the Scottish Highlands has this kind of Moorish, kind of earthy character. Buckwheat honey is really, some people say barnyardy. Um, earthy. Yes, definitely <laughs> earthy. Uh, and then meadow foam honey has uh, has toasted marshmallow character. Oh. And so so I have all of that variety within those flavors of the honey, and then I can build things on top of that to complement and and really build distinct products off of just those.
0: Are there? Uh, we were talking earlier about the different types of wine and beer. You know, there's Cabernet and Chardonnay and IPA and Pale Ale. Are there types of mead the same way?
3: Yes. Uh, so so within a fruit uh, fruit additions to mead, we just call that a mellow mel in general. Um, but then there's uh, with apple cider. And uh, honey as well. Um, and you can t- you can caramelize the honey even to different levels of caramelization, um, just like you would do with different grains and toasts on those. Um, you get different Maillard reactions, uh, flavor characteristics out of that. You can make a honey, a clover honey, taste like chocolate and coffee and toffee. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Sounds
1: amazing. <laughs> Who are you looking at um, since the mead business is not that large at this point. Who does really great mead that you admire and that you're looking to? Or, or are you just sort of a trailblazer out there trying to re- reinvent the wheel? <laughs> um,
3: so I, w- I really look uh, to for guidance uh, to a lot of my peers in the, in the industry. Uh, Sergio Mutella of Melovino Meadery up in uh, New Jersey is doing fantastic things. Uh, he consistently brings home just rungs of medals at competitions uh, ken Schramm, up in ferndale michigan uh, has really been a trailblazer for our industry and and uh, we can credit a lot of the scientific or technological advances in how we handle honey fermentations to the work that he's done and and the the book that he wrote uh, which i, I want to say has been out for coming on 15 years, I think it was 2003, 2001 that it was released, The Complete Mead Maker, and it it really kind of revolutionized our craft.
1: And do you think that you'll see more people trying to homebrew like you did meads uh, down the road?
3: Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've, I've uh, just last month I went and spoke to the Johnson County Brewers Society um, and this I think it was like a week and a half ago I was down talking to the Lawrence Brewers Guild uh, just about mead fermentations and and some of the questions that they were throwing at me were fantastic. I got to get into the nitty-gritty with people and I don't get to do that that often. (laughs)
1: Because those of us that just drink it don't usually... (laughs) go that deep we're we're like what's a session okay
3: (laughs) i don't want to bore you with like titrations for sorbate and sulfite and there you go acid acid additions it's
1: chemistry though and we have to remember that but it also happens naturally and i was reading michael pollan's book cooked i don't know if you guys have read that but there's a whole chapter that he calls uh I don't, fermentation, I guess, but he calls the people in it fermentos as if they're a little bit crazy, um, a little bit off center and seeking something that's magical that you can't see. Are are either one of you guilty of being a fermento?
2: Sure. I I can, I can definitely resemble that. (laughs) Um, yeah, we, I, I, almost from the beginning, I've, I've tried to kind of stretch the envelope a little bit, not just when when we were talking about beer um in the beginning i mean i was um you know i was using kombucha cultures to ferment beer and sourdough cultures to ferment beer and um trying to see different combinations and some of them were decent and some of them were terrible (laughs) you know so um and now we're uh you know we're experimenting with um different different teas um uh, different adjuncts uh, on on the backside and trying to get different flavoring flavor profiles um you know um dabbling in alcoholic kombucha as well um that's an area we want to go into um
0: interesting
2: yeah relatively pro- hopefully sometime next year it, it just it, it's it, it's kind of a process and it's um unfortunately the the, the kombucha industry from what I've seen and, and some, some people I've you know, some other brewers is not nearly as open as um the beer or, or winemaking um uh, community. And I mean there's there's such a huge home brewing culture, um, not just in Kansas City, but across the country. Um and resources are shared and um and commercial you know, commercially too, I mean if you know, if I if I have a question about a piece of equipment or something I can call or text you know, three or, four, five, three or four or five guys within a mile from me, and they'll answer a question and they'll be like, oh, here, just borrow this for a while. And um, unfortunately, um, there's not, doesn't seem to be that, that same mentality, at least yet, in kombucha. And and hopefully there will be. Um, we actually tried to, we've had a couple homebrewing classes in our tap room and um, taught people how to, not that, not that it's a hard thing to, to research and, and make, um, but just kind of uh, helped people with a lot of different questions and kind of helped them to get better batches faster at home.
0: Is alcoholic kombucha an existing product anywhere? Would you guys be making some of the first or?
2: Um, it, it definitely exists. It's not uh, very commercially viable. I don't even know if you can buy it in Kansas City right now. Huh. Um, there's a company in San Diego called Boochcraft, which makes its um, one in Michigan called Unity Vibration. Um, it's kind of a a hybrid fermento um, (laughs) creation.
0: I'm picturing it it in a champagne glass is exactly how I'm seeing it. Sure. Uh,
1: Michael Pollan sort of described the whole process as very mystical because we don't even actually scientifically understand fermentation all that well, correct?
3: I I would agree with most of that, yeah. 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 Uh, There are a lot of uh, variations that happen that we kind of have to... Backtrack and go. Whoa, 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 hold on. (laughs) The underlying premise and like the chemical equations we've got down, but there are definitely other factors going on. How age influences what those those chemical reactions are happening within the bottle, and uh, that that we're still trying to figure out
0: well, especially when you take into account in something like a more open fermentation process with what's floating in the air around you that changes the taste of it that's so fascinating and different no
2: matter where you are right it's it's uh like i said before it's kind of something that we have to kind of embrace as opposed to try to fight
1: and if uh if a batch has failed how how badly does it fail um, how do you know? Is it is it, it just an off taste or a smell, or is it or is it bubbling like you know a witch's cauldron or what?
2: Uh, ours doesn't bubble like a we'll witch's cauldron, but it definitely um, off taste, off flavor, um, and it's it's a case to where it's um, you know if, if it's it's usually dumped, right? I mean, you, you don't yeah. keep that, right? Um, and luckily uh, w- with our process and, and um, We've only had to dump two batches. Um, and kombucha is a pretty forgiving fermentation. Um, way, way more forgiving than beer. Um, I, I've only fermented a little bit of wine. So um, mm-hmm. I, I'm i not, I couldn't talk about that. But um, it's, it's, it's way more forgiving than beer.
1: And because, does weather have an impact during the year? Like, you know, when we get into our very cold season versus uh, summer, very
2: definitely, hot. Definitely. Um, kombucha likes to be about, seventy seven seventy eight degrees while it's fermenting, and um, you get much below that you've got a uh, you've got chances of mold that can grow um, when I say much I mean down in the sixties low sixties if you get much higher then it it can really create a lot of off flavors.
0: I love that you said kombucha likes because truly, it's like a living, breathing organism. It is.
2: It is. I, it's like I, I talk to it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I knew this was coming out here. Fermentos over
1: there. Daniel. And,
3: and as far as on the mead side, there there are several faults or flaws that that can kind of present themselves based on microbial infections. You can have it taste and smell mousy or mm. mousy urine. Would be Mm, for that. No. Acetone. Not a
0: taste note you want.
3: No. <laughs> Rubbing alcohol. Mm, um, yes. The, you can really go sour, into, like literally, <laughs> um, or, uh, or south uh, if you aren't taking the preca- appropriate precautions and handling your fermentation yeah. in, a, in a sanitary and can, a directive manner.
0: I was going to ask, too, just from the few homebrewers, I you know, and the amount of hops that I see them pour in that ends up with a much lower volume of beer comparatively. <laughs> Honey-wise, how hmm. much – are you using mass amounts of honey to make one glass of mead?
3: I'm using a lot more honey than I ever thought I would <laughs> see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time I, I bought a five-gallon pail of honey, I thought that was a lot. Now I'm laughing at Self in the past, like uh, does so it come
1: in tanker trucks now? You can buy those. Yeah, I know oh a couple
3: meaderies up on the East Coast that they get it by the truckload. Bee nectar he started as a five gallon batch in his basement commercially, and now he uses about six thousand pounds of honey a week. Oh
0: wow. my gosh, and that's not cheap, like you were saying earlier. No, that's yeah, that's
3: 55 gallon drums of honey.
0: Is that helping save the bees, though,
1: with colony collapse and all the concerns uh, they, out there about those?
3: So I would say that whenever most people say save the bees, they're talking about regional pollinators and uh, native honeybee. Er, sorry, native bees, um, and we're talking about the honeybee specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, you could if if we're donating a portion of proceeds to research colony collapse disorder um and really try to root out the cause of that then yes i would say that we are helping to save the bees but i i i try to to steer clear of of construing honeybee like buying honey from from commercial beekeepers to saving the bees that are native pollinators and the like it's a I just think there's not enough information out there about that per se
0: when we're talking about kombucha and honey what does it run per glass for each of you have you done your pricing stuff yet for Co point
3: uh, I've approached some of them
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're not quite open yet almost
3: no so if a, I mean if I've used a lot of fruit in a batch up to you know 10 pounds per gallon then that that's gonna go up there a bit I'm, I'm hoping to land with a 375 bottle around 18 dollars or so out of the door. Um five hundred mils, you know, twenty five to maybe thirty on some of them.
2: Um we uh since the tea and the sugar are the are the main uh, expenses um we don't really have any flavor uh, differences but um in, in our tap room um twelve ounce pour is three dollars. Um growler fills are six and twelve or thirty two or sixty four ounce fills. Um a flight is a flight of four different four ounce pores is six dollars so pretty pr- relatively reasonable um when you're in when you're in the grocery stores you can see bottles for anywhere from um you know two fifty to yeah. four or five well, even five dollars a bottle Ours usually retails for anywhere between three twenty and three seventy nine a bottle something like that
1: What are your favorite flavors
2: uh we have a passion fruit that's uh, on Ooh. tap right now, and um, it's it's currently my your current um, favorite. It's my jam, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we uh, we but we also have a um, a berry blend flavor that we've kind of had in different um, uh, formulations since the beginning, and it's got aronia berries in it, and it's uh, a really great um, tart tangy flavor, and that's I always end up coming back to that so.
1: And is there a particular food that kombucha pairs best with?
2: Um, we we actually do have some grab and go sandwiches and things in our tap room, and it um, seems to. Uh, um, I I don't know if I'm enough of a foodie to actually answer that question. Uh, well, goes um, good with sandwiches though. Goes great with sandwiches. Okay, so it's like, casual, it,
0: kind of like you said. It tastes like a pop without the sugar. Like, yeah, over- right.
2: Yeah. I right. love that for it's. But it does have so much more flavor and body than a a soda.
3: yeah.
1: And Daniel, what about you? What are some of the flavors that people can expect and how do they pair it with food?
3: So first, one of my favorite flavors that he makes is Mm. a vanilla pear. Oh, that is so good. Excellent. Yeah, Yeah, that should be back on the tap room this fall. (laughs) I'm excited (laughs) for that one. Um, So so right now I have uh, 34 different formulas because all of my formulas have to be approved by the TTB. Uh, so I've got 34 of those, and the TTB
1: is—it's
3: uh, essentially what was created from the ATF. Okay. Um, whenever they split up, and it's—it's it's the Tax and Trade Bureau
1: um, that is over alcoholic. Yeah, it beverages. handles
3: the, okay. the revenue, essentially, or the taxes, and then uh, apparently formula and, and labeling as well. Um, <laughs>
1: You're finding out you yes. you're in the thick of it as they say,
3: so I have uh one of my f- personal favorites is uh, caramelized honey and peaches mm. and then I age in a whiskey barrel oh um, so that's got a lot of that's got a lot going on um, black currants and toasted marshmallows can go into it um and then uh, I'm working on one that's essentially a mocha uh, so it I'll be teaming up with a local roaster and a local bean de bar chocolatier um, to do uh, cacao nibs and coffee with meadow foam honey to give it that toasted vanilla character, toasted marshmallow character and vanilla.
1: I can see that going with so many things. What what do you think, Lindsay? Some dessert right off the last one. yeah.
0: Uh, Especially you guys opening. You said (laughs) November, you think? Yes. The holidays and all of that. It just sounds warm and lovely. And uh, it sounds like it's after my due date, so good job. <laughs> Perfect timing. She didn't really want to do this show
1: until later. But... <laughs> well, you know, I, we jumped in anyway. You're, you're going to be able to drink again real soon. Soon
0: enough. Soon enough.
1: <laughs> well... Guys, uh this has been a fabulous session. I have learned so much. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Yeah, go out and check out these guys. Cheers uh, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. Prost. Ciao. Skull. Skull. <laughs> Good luck.
3: Thank you. Thank you.